Hey podcast listeners, I wanted to take a couple of minutes before the message today to let you know about an upcoming ministry opportunity that I'm going to be participating in. Uh, one of the missionaries that I've had the opportunity to minister with uh, on several different occasions over the last several years is Dr. Mario Indino from the Philippines. And uh, Dr. Indino has visited Friendship Congregational Bible Church on several occasions, and I've also ministered with him at Grace Bible Camp in Chippewa Falls, Wisconsin, when he was here uh, visiting the States. And Dr. Indino has founded a missions organization called Grace Beyond Borders. Uh, Grace Beyond Borders is active in several countries in Southeast Asia, and uh, I've always been impressed with Dr. Indino's, um, just his, his kind and joyful spirit, as well as the, the vision and the energy that he brings to ministry. And so I was very honored a few months ago when um, Mario approached me about possibly ministering at an upcoming Bible conference in the Philippines. Uh, I've never preached outside of the United States, although I've, I've preached in many areas uh, inside the country. Um, I've never preached outside of the country. And uh, you may know that the grace message really has a, you know, a, very, a very strong footing in the Philippines. Uh, there are probably more grace believers and more grace churches per capita in the Philippines, possibly than anywhere else in the world. And, I, and certainly, uh, again, per capita, uh, there are more grace believers and more churches in the Philippines than there are here in the United States. And uh, so it's, a, it's an exciting opportunity to be able to go there and to fellowship with those grace believers there and minister the word to them. Um, we have a schedule worked out uh, for the trip. And as it turns out, I'm going to be able to go to the Philippines for about three weeks in April and into the first week of May. Uh, so the plan as it stands right now, and I bought my plane tickets yesterday, so I'm, I'm pretty much locked in as far as the, um, you know, getting to the Philippines and, and coming home. But uh, I'll leave O'Hare Airport on April 10th and um, fly uh, to first to Shanghai and then to Manila, and I'll get back to the United States uh, around uh, May 5th. And during that time that I'm in the Philippines, I'm going to have the opportunity to minister at Fundamental Grace Bible Institute in Ozami City. Uh, the main conference is in Tagum City, that's near Davao in the southern Philippines, and they're expecting about 500 to 700 people from, from all over the Philippines to be there in attendance at that Bible conference. Uh, after that, there will be another Bible conference in Manila uh, that, that I'll be ministering at as well, and also, as there's opportunity during that trip, um, I, I should also have the opportunity to uh, preach at several Filipino Grace churches. And uh, so I would just ask that you be in prayer for me. I plan to give updates like this each week on the podcast. There's, uh, you know, a lot of things to to be done between now and that trip. And I'll probably I'll also uh, put some 
put some updates on the podcast feed while I'm in the Philippines, as well as uh, some of the recordings of the messages that I give there um, I'll use here on the podcast. So you'll you'll uh, get to hear a lot about this trip to the Philippines. Um, some of you have already known about this trip and have very generously given towards some of the expenses. And uh, I do want to let you know how you can do that if you if you would like to help with that. Um, one of the ways is that I've set up a GoFundMe campaign. And whether you give or not, you can go to that GoFundMe page and, and also register to get updates through them for the trip. But um, you, can, you can find the campaign at GoFundMe.com slash Richard Church. Or if, um, if you can't find it that way, if you search on GoFundMe, search for uh, Philippines Conference Trip. And you should be able to find my campaign there. But GoFundMe.com slash Richard Church. Now, if you want to make a, a tax-deductible donation, you can also give through the Friendship Congregational Bible Church. But there's not a way to do that online right now. So if you'd like to give that way um, and, and so that you'll get a, a receipt at the end of the year that you can use on your taxes, uh, you can go to FriendshipBibleChurch.com and find the church address down at the bottom of the page and send a check um, made out to Friendship Congregational Bible Church, but just put a note on it that it is for Richard Church Missions Trip, and that'll get it to the right place. And um, it's it's been humbling, uh, the generosity of people that have, have given so far. I've, I've already raised about half of the money that I need for the trip. I can't express how thankful I am for those that have helped with these expenses. And uh, I'm greatly looking forward to what the Lord is going to do there in the Philippines. And uh, again, be in, be in prayer for me as I prepare my messages and prepare just for, for the logistics of traveling and all of that. I'd ask you also to be in prayer for uh, Mario Indino and Grace Beyond Borders and, and the Filipino saints that are putting together the details for these conferences. And I'd also ask that you be in prayer for my family. Uh, it's not very often that I'm away for an extended period of time like this. And um, I think many of you know that we have a, a newborn in the house. Uh, our daughter Violet, our fifth child, was born um, about six weeks ago. And uh, so I'd ask you also to be in prayer for my wife, Brooke, and, and the rest of the family also as they prepare to to uh, have several weeks uh, without me here. Uh, but certainly be in prayer for all those details regarding this trip. And like I say, I'll, I'll give you uh, updates each week here before the podcast uh, um, about how things are going as far as the, the preparations for the trip. Uh, thank you for the fellowship that we have together in our Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, now I hope you are edified by this podcast message. Thank you. Welcome to the Verse by Verse podcast, a ministry of the Friendship Congregational Bible Church. I'm Richard Church, the teacher on Verse by Verse, and I'm glad you've joined with us today as we study together God's infallible word, verse by verse.
Let's turn to Acts chapter 9, and this time we're going to start in verse 10. It says, And there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias, and to him said the Lord in a vision, Ananias. And he said, Behold, I am here, Lord. And the Lord said unto him, Arise and go into the street which is called Straight, and inquire in the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus, for behold, he prayeth. And hath seen in a vision a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hand on him that he might receive his sight. Then Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard by many of this man how much evil he hath done to thy saints at Jerusalem. And here he hath authority from the chief priests to bind all that call on thy name. But the Lord said unto him, Go thy way, for he is a chosen vessel unto me to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel, for I will show him how great things he must suffer for my name's sake. And that's that's about how far we got in the last lesson. You see there uh, the Lord reveals his purpose for Saul, who later is called Paul, and that is to bear his name before, and he lists the Gentiles first where everything we've seen previous to this, it's always been Israel first. Here it's the Gentiles first. And so we'll continue on in verse 17 then today. And Ananias went his way and entered into the house and putting his hands on him, said, Brother Saul, the Lord, even Jesus that appeared unto thee in the way as thou camest, hath sent me that thou mightest receive thy sight and be filled with the Holy Ghost. And immediately there fell from his eyes as it, has been, as it had been scales, and he received sight forthwith and arose and was baptized. And when he had received meat, he was strengthened. Then was Saul certain days with the disciples which were at Damascus. Now, um, you, you see there how Ananias, the, the Lord, speaks to him and uh, his response, which is the proper response uh, that you see throughout the Bible when the Lord calls you by name, and you see he says, I am here, Lord. And um, he he tells him here to go to go to Saul. Now, Ananias is kind of apprehensive about that. Uh, he says about how he, he knows, he knows who this Saul is, and um, he's kind of worried about going to him. But the Lord tells him, he is a chosen vessel unto me to bear my name, he says, before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. And you see, that's the Lord's purpose for Saul Right from right from the beginning, that's his purpose, is for him to bear his name before the Gentiles. You know, some, some people like to try and split up the ministry of, of Paul the Apostle, and they like to have him in his early ministry just continuing on with the same purpose that Peter and the Twelve had. But you see here, from the very beginning, uh, God has a, a different purpose for Saul, and Ananias in verse 17 follows the instructions that the Lord gave and he he uh, says he put his hands on him and he proclaims the Lord Jesus to him, tells him that he's sent him, that he would receive his sight and he says be filled with the Holy Ghost and verse 18 says immediately there fell from his eyes as it had been scales and uh, that's if you remember when when uh, Saul encounters that bright light on the road to Damascus, he's blind for and for three days by this point, by the time that Ananias comes to him, he's been blind. And when Ananias puts his hands on him, um, then it says that these, these scales, it says immediately there fell from his eyes as it had been scales, and he received sight forthwith 
and arose and was baptized. And um, it's not exactly clear what the what the scales there are. I mean, the, the Greek word literally means like a, a flake or a scale, but there's some, you know, some physical thing that, that uh, comes off of his eye. Uh, some people have supposed that uh, it was, it's possible that he continued to have problems with his eyes. Uh, if you put a mark here in Acts 9 and go over to Galatians chapter 4, you can notice some things here that Paul says that maybe, maybe give an indication that he, he may have continued to have some problems uh, with his eyes. Verse 13, there's various places where Paul talks about the infirmity of his flesh. Um, and he talks about a thorn in the flesh. Here in Galatians 4 verse 13, he says, Ye know how through infirmity of the flesh I preached the gospel unto you at the first, and my temptation, which would be like a, a testing, my temptation which was in my flesh, ye despised not nor rejected, but received me as an angel of God, even as Christ Jesus. Verse 15, where is then the blessedness ye spake of? He's, he's rebu rebuking the Galatians here because they were uh, beginning to turn away from some of the things he had taught them. And he reminds them here about how when he was there with them, you know, they gladly received what he was telling them. He says, where is then the blessedness ye spake of? For I bear you record that if it had been possible, you would have plucked out your own eyes and have given them to me. And um, that that would seem like kind of a, a strange expression to use, talking about you know their their loyalty and their appreciation of him, that they would pluck out their eyes for him, unless maybe he had a problem with his eyes. Um, so a little little bit of speculation going into that, but there are a few things like that. There's another place where uh, Paul talks about the, the large letters that he's written with his own hand. Uh, some point to that as, a, as an indication of some eye problems, but it seems more like the context there is he's saying, I'm writing to you with large letters because I want you to really pay attention. But, but either way... Um, Whatever whatever this infirmity of his flesh was, or this this thorn in the flesh was, um, a passage like this seems to indicate it may have been a, a problem with his eyes, and it would be possible maybe that that would uh, stem back to the events here. But um, certainly you see the symbolism in what's going on there: his blindness, and then he receives his sight. And, you know, here he was physically blind for three days before he received sight, but he was spiritually blind for much longer than that uh, for all of his life up to this point, and now he's received sight. Um, so it surprised me that, that this reference to the scales being, fall, you know, falling off his eyes, that it doesn't uh, appear more often, for instance, in hymns and things, because it's a very, you know, very powerful um, picture of, uh, of receiving that sight. Um, Isaac Watts does have a, a hymn that's called And Now the Scales Have Left Mine Eyes. It's not one of his familiar ones, but uh, there are a few hymns out, out there that make reference to that, but certainly, certainly that powerful picture there because the Lord has many things that he's going to, to show to Saul. Uh, in fact, right here in the passage, one of the things he says, verse 16 says, for I will show him how great things he must suffer for my name's sake. That's one of the things the Lord is going to show to Saul. He's been the persecutor. Now he's going to be the persecuted. 
He's been the one causing the suffering. Now he's going to be the one, the, the recipient of the suffering for the sake of the name of the Lord. And um, the, the Lord reveals many things to Saul of Tarsus. In fact, he reveals things to Paul that he had never revealed to anybody before. Things that had been kept secret from the foundation of the world we find revealed in Paul's epistles. And we'll, we'll talk a little bit more about that um, in a little bit. You notice that uh, when, when uh, Saul, is he receives his sight, it says he arose and was baptized. And like we've done before, let's compare this with, with uh, Paul's later account of these events over in chapter 22. Go to Acts chapter 22. You know, when you have these these uh, different accounts of the same event, it, it gives you a clearer picture of what happened because one account will add in some details that uh, the other does not. Here in, in Acts 22, uh, if we begin in verse 12, as uh, where he starts to talk about Ananias, Acts 22 verse 12 says, And one Ananias... A devout man according to the law, having a good report of all the Jews which dwelt there, came unto me and stood and said unto me, Brother Saul, receive thy sight. And the same hour I looked up upon him, and he said, The God of our fathers hath chosen thee, that thou shouldest know his will, and see that just one, and shouldest hear the voice of his mouth. For thou shalt be his witness unto all men of what thou hast seen and heard." Um, you see there how Ananias says he's chosen Saul to be to know his will, and it says to see that just one. Understand that what's going on there in, in Acts 9 with the Lord appearing to Saul is, is an important event because when the disciples stood on the Mount of Olives and Christ ascended up into heaven, the angels told them that they would see him come as he had as he had gone and in fact uh, the bible describes how the the second coming of christ uh, he's going to actually return to that spot on the mount of olives okay but here we have an appearing of christ that that is unprophesied in acts chapter 9 you know the next the next place where anybody was expecting to see the lord jesus christ was at the second coming and yet here we have him appearing to Saul, and, and Ananias points that out, that he's chosen him to, to see the, that just one. You know, there are people today that would claim that, that they've seen visions of Christ, for instance, and there's nothing in the Bible that would indicate that, that you know, the Lord Jesus Christ is going to appear to somebody in some visible form today, but he did to Saul on the road to Damascus, okay? And you see how, how Ananias says to him that he's going to be his witness unto all men. Now we've seen how up to this point, uh, even, as, even as the believers who kind of branch out from Jerusalem and they start to go out into these other nations, they're speaking to none but unto the Jews only. Because that's, you know, that's where they were at in, in that program. But here... Uh, Ananias says to Saul that he's going to be his witness unto all men. And remember, that's what the Lord tells Ananias. He'll bear my name before Gentiles and kings and the nation of Israel. Uh, 
Here Ananias tells him, he's going to be his witness unto all men of what thou hast seen and heard. And then verse 16, it says, And now why tarriest thou? Arise and be baptized and wash away thy sins, calling on the name of the Lord. Now, um, I mean, if you understand the, the message later that you see revealed in Paul's epistles, um, you see, for instance, we've, we've talked a lot about water baptism here in these early chapters of the book of Acts and the place that it, it played in that program. Later on, for instance, uh, you can read in, in um, 1 Corinthians how Paul says that he was not sent to baptize. This commission that the Lord gives to, to Paul does not include water baptism like the commission to Peter and the Twelve did. When Christ commissions them before his ascension, he tells them directly, Go ye therefore, teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. And yet, Paul says, Christ sent me not to baptize in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Because Peter and Paul are working under different commissions. And Peter could not make that claim that Paul makes in 1 Corinthians. But then some people would ask, well, why is Paul baptized here? If God is starting something new, if there's something new beginning here in Acts chapter 9, and the commission that Paul's going to be given does not include water baptism, why is, why is Paul water baptized? And not only that, uh, you see how, how Paul relates the, the words of Ananias, where Ananias says to him, uh, again, chapter 22, verse 16, And now why tarriest thou? Arise and be baptized and wash away thy sins, calling on the name of the Lord. And, you know, a plain reading of that would seem to associate water baptism with, with washing away of sins. In fact, this would be a verse that um, people who teach baptismal regeneration, the idea that you can't be saved without being water baptized. They would, they would use this verse um, in part as a, as a proof for their position. But so, so the first thing to understand is uh, Paul's, Paul is, God has a purpose for Paul right here from the beginning. That doesn't mean that God has fully revealed here at this point in time what that purpose is and what the content of that message is. He hasn't revealed it to Paul, and he certainly hasn't revealed it to Ananias, right? So Ananias is just operating under the program that had been in effect. It was, we saw it, Acts chapter 2, repent and be baptized for the remission of sins, and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. And, and so Ananias' statement to Paul here just fits right in with that. It was the same message preached by John the Baptist before the cross, preached by Peter in the Twelve after the cross, um, repent and be baptized. And here he, he says to, to Saul, be baptized. But then there's that phrase, and, and wash away thy sins. Okay? And I think, I think probably, you know, we re, because he talks about the washing there, we associate it back with, with baptize. The, the word and... Um, it's a conjunction and can mean a lot of things. It's basically used to join things together. And it can be used to join different things together, right? A and B. Or it can be also be used to give additional description of the same thing. Here, I mean, if you, if you look at it, when he says, arise and be baptized, 
we wouldn't join those two together and say that's the same thing, right? Obviously, he's telling them, arise, stand up, and in addition to that, be baptized. And when he says, wash away thy sins, calling on the name of the Lord, there's that, that washing of water, as we've seen here early in the book of Acts, and we spent quite a bit of time on it in chapter 2, that washing of water is not what washes away sins, even under this program that Ananias is a part of. Uh, the, the washing away of the sins would be associated there with calling on the name of the Lord. If that's not clear, let's look at another passage of Scripture. Go over to 1 Peter chapter 3. Okay, 1 Peter chapter 3. And verse 21, now we're breaking into the context here. Uh, Peter, in the verse before this, talks about Noah and the ark, but uh, he's talking about that as, a, as a, a figure. And verse 21 says, The like figure, whereunto even baptism doth also now save us. Now, if we stopped right there, we could use that as another verse for this idea of baptismal regeneration. But Peter doesn't stop there. He says, not the putting away of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So, so even in this, in this program and under this commission that Peter has that includes water baptism, was water baptism the, the means of salvation or was it something you did after having been saved? And you can see what Peter says he says that, that water baptism is not, it's not, it doesn't save in the sense of putting away the filth of the flesh, but he says it's the answer of a good conscience toward God, which would mean the good conscience toward God has to come first, and water baptism is a response to having been saved. Okay? So, so for instance, um, when John the Baptist was preaching, repent and be baptized, and the, the Pharisees came and wanted to be baptized by him. He wouldn't, he wouldn't baptize them because he told them, go and bring forth fruits, meat for repentance. He said, go, you know, uh, make it evident in your life that you really have repented, that you've really believed this message of the kingdom, and then come and get water baptized. Um, the, the salvation comes first under this program, and then the water baptism comes after that. Okay. And, and so Ananias, when he's speaking to, to Saul there, he, there's the baptism and the washing away of the sins are two different things. Okay, now what's not clear in any of this is at what point Saul actually believed in a, in a, a salvific sense when he was actually saved. Was it on the road to Damascus? Was it here three days later when Ananias comes and speaks to him? It's really not clear, and I don't know of any passage that, that tells you specifically. Uh, this, this may be an indication here, Ananias' words to, to Saul may be an indication that he really wasn't saved until here at this point when he, when he receives his sight. Okay, but, but either way, this is, you have to understand about the book of Acts, that the book of Acts is not doctrinal in nature. It's not, it's not like the epistles that set out to teach you doctrine. The book of Acts is a, is a narrative. It's describing what happened. 
And, and certainly all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine as well as reproof, correction, instruction, and righteousness. But that doesn't mean that all of the scripture is specifically doctrinal, right? So for instance, much of the Old Testament is narrative. It's, it's telling you events that happened. It's not necessarily prescriptive in, in the sense, see this, people get confused about this with the Old Testament because they'll go back and they'll find some, you know, some uh, uh, sinful thing that somebody did in the Old Testament. And they'll say, you see, the Bible teaches that you should do that sinful thing. And it's not that the Bible is teaching that. It's that the Bible is recording that somebody did that. Right. It's not it's not saying that it's good that they did that. It's just saying they did it. And you don't want to confuse things that are primarily narrative or, you know, just telling you what happened with things that are are doctrinal or are you know specifically attempting to teach doctrine. And so when we see these events, we can't take what happens here with Ananias and use it to base some doctrine on, we have to go to a doctrinal passage like Peter's epistle for that kingdom program and then view the events in light of that. Does that make sense? And likewise, with we're going to see a lot of things, for instance, that Paul does here in the book of Acts, that later when you read his epistles, you say, well, how does that fit? I mean, what, how does it fit that Paul tells Timothy to get circumcised when in his epistles, he tells them that whoever whoever uh, gets circumcised, that, that Christ has become of none effect to them. How does that fit? Or how does it fit that, um, you know, Paul takes a vow under the law fairly late in the book of Acts when he's, and, and that vow, I mean, that process of, of undergoing that purification if you're familiar with, with um, that story and what it refers to in the Old Testament, would have involved animal sacrifices and all these things at a time when Paul, in his epistles, is telling people, um, you're not under the law, you're under grace. Okay, And we'll look at those things in detail as we get to them, but, but understand you don't want to get confused. You don't want to take these narrative passages and allow them to confuse doctrine. When you have clear doctrine... In, in other places, you know, that's designed to be doctrinal in nature, right? So, so those words of Ananias, uh, we can understand from what Peter teaches by inspiration, we can understand that water baptism is not how you wash away your sins. You have to have your sins washed away first, and then the answer, the response of having that good conscience toward God under that program is to be water baptized, okay? Now, what we're going to see as we go through the book of Acts is we're going to see less and less emphasis placed on water baptism. And like I say, here's, a, here's another example. We're going to see Paul baptize people early in his ministry. But don't allow that to confuse you of the fact that in 1 Corinthians, let's just look at that verse. We haven't turned to it. Um, let's turn to the verse so you see it there. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 Verse 17, Paul says, For Christ sent me, and, and the word sent there is actually the Greek word from which we get our word apostle. Right? If somebody is an apostle, they're a sent one. And Paul's apostleship is what he's saying. He's saying he was he, he says Christ sent me, or he made me an apostle, not 
to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of none effect. Okay, so he says, Christ sent me not to baptize. Now, people try to get around that verse. I, I remember a conversation I had with a Baptist pastor who uh, said, well, Paul was not a pastor of a local church, and it's a pastor of a local church that is is the one that is to baptize. But, I mean, would you, I mean, Paul was an apostle just like Peter was an apostle, but Peter was sent to baptize. Peter couldn't make the statement here that Paul makes. Some will point out that Paul's talking here about divisions, and one of the things they were dividing over was who baptized them. And that's true. That's the context. But Peter couldn't have made this same statement in any context, whether it was the context of division or anything else, because Peter was sent to baptize, okay, um, Paul was not sent to baptize. And, and so no matter how you try and get around what Paul says there, it's clear that the character of their apostleship is very different. And Paul says his does not include water baptism. Okay, that's very clear. And so whatever the reasons for why Paul baptizes early in his ministry, we have clear teaching in a doctrinal passage where he says it's not a part of his apostleship, all right? And as to why Paul himself was baptized, just remember, again, the, these things of the dispensation of grace are revealed gradually over time. Um, even, you know, Paul, Paul talks about how he would come to visions and revelations of the Lord. Things were revealed gradually over time. And it's really over this Acts period from Acts 9 to Acts 28 that those things are revealed. By the time you get to, to the end of Acts 28, that's really where this transition is over. By the time you get to the end of Acts 28, all of Paul's epistles have, have been written. I mean, right at the end of Acts 28. Uh, Paul's, the last of Paul's epistles are, are, are written there um, or soon thereafter. And the transition is over. But the early epistles of Paul, like Romans, Corinthians, Galatians, um, Thessalonians, you'll find in them some elements of things that were passing away, that were gradually being done away with, that, that had not yet disappeared completely. Okay, And Paul himself is, is saved at a time when none of that had been revealed. And so Ananias just operates based on the, the, the program that was in effect at the time. Now, what we're going to see as we continue on in the book of Acts is for a short time here, we're going to see the narrative kind of switch back and forth between Peter and Paul a little bit. But eventually, all the focus is going to be placed on Paul. And again, we're going to see things changing from here on out through the end of the book of Acts, uh, right up to the end of, of Acts 28. Okay, so um, let's go back then to our to our text, um, Acts chapter 9. So we see verse 18, it says, Immediately there fell from his eyes as it had been scales. He received sight forthwith and arose and was baptized. And when he had received meat, he was strengthened. Then was Saul certain days with the disciples which were at Damascus. And verse 20 says, And straightway he preached Christ in the synagogues, that he is the Son of God. As, as we continue on here in the book of Acts in, in future lessons, 
these things that, that we're talking about, this change that's taking place in Acts 9, we only see hints of it in Acts 9 itself. But pay attention now as we, as we continue through the book of Acts and see the changes as they occur and, and certain things being done away with and uh, new things being revealed. And uh, you'll, you'll come to understand a, a lot more about the New Testament and have a lot less trouble with some of the supposedly contradictory passages in the New Testament when you understand this dispensational change that's taking place that we're just getting a glimpse of here in Acts chapter 9. Hi, I'm Richard Church, the teacher here on Verse by Verse. I'm glad you've listened to our podcast today, and I would like to let you know that if you have any questions about anything you've heard here, you can contact me by email at richard at richardchurch.com or by telephone 608-339-9522. I also encourage you to check out our church website at www.friendshipbiblechurch.com. Thank you for joining us today, and our prayer is that this program would be a blessing to you in helping you to grow in your understanding of God's grace.